It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. This is a live shot from Global One above Lynn Canyon in North Vancouver, the scene of yet another emergency at the notoriously dangerous Lynn Headwaters. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Breaking news from the North Shore, the fate of a young boy unknown tonight after he was spotted in the waters of Lynn Canyon. Our Rumina Dea is live in North Vancouver tonight with more on this. Rumina, what do we know at this point? Very little information at this point, Sophie, but as you mentioned, 12-year-old boy's fate. We're waiting to hear what happened to him. We're hearing that he was found face down in the waters here at Twin Falls. Emergency officials were being told, attempted to do CPR on him, but we don't know how he's doing at this time. We're waiting to get an update from RCMP and from fire officials. Now, RCMP, we did see them talking to several witnesses. Now, as you mentioned, this is a dangerous area. Extreme, extreme danger warning signs are everywhere. You can't miss them. But regardless, people still ignore them. You can see a bunch of people down there on the rocks right now. They were swimming in the waters here, completely ignoring the signs that have been put up, warning people to stay away from this area and not go beyond the fence line. This happens every day. It's a situation that emergency officials are struggling with every summer out here. And there are severe consequences, as we've seen in the past. As far as the little boy, Sophie and Chris, we're not sure about how he's doing tonight. As soon as we get an update, we'll be sure to bring that to you in the broadcast. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Rumina Day alive for us on the North Shore tonight. We'll keep you updated, as Rumina mentioned. Now, more breaking news. Some huge delays for a major BC Ferries route. The Tawasson Sports Bay run is seriously backed up tonight with a four-sailing weight out of Tawasson and a three-sailing weight from Sports Bay. Earlier today, the Queen of Nanaimo was taken out of service from the Tawasson Gulf Islands route for mechanical problems. A smaller ferry is taking its place, but many travelers are choosing the Tawasson-Sports Bay route instead. Well, now to the big political story today. Christy Clark is out as leader of the B.C. Liberals and abandoning her post as Kelowna West MLA, too. Her resignation is effective next Friday, August the 4th, bringing her eventful and divisive political career to an end. Clark's reason for the decision in a moment. But first, Jill Bennett has the reaction. Even before it was clear, without another election, Christy Clark would be trading in the title of Premier for Opposition Leader. She was adamant she was up for the lesser job. And um, I'm uh, more than ready and willing to take that job on. And I'll stay on as long as my caucus wants me to and needs me to. And I intend to stay on as MLA, too, for Kelowna West. And it was just Thursday morning, Clark told Radio NL in Kamloops the same thing. We have to be ready to fight. We have to be united. So... Uh, Jim, when I say I'm staying, I mean I'm staying. So it's no surprise. Her departure is a surprise to some voters. Did she? She did. Oh, good. Not surprising. Why? They kind of failed miserably. Just she's done nothing but uh, kind of sabotage our province, I think. I think it's surprising. 
uh, mostly because she was a very good leader for the Liberal Party. Clark told her caucus the news at a Penticton retreat shortly after Rich Coleman, who will be the interim leader, emerged surrounded by colleagues, clearly upset. I've never worked with anybody with more passion and love, strength of leadership and management in my entire life than Christy Clark. What she's given to this province should never be forgiven. She gave it forgotten. So why has Clark, a politician sometimes referred to as the comeback kid, called it quits? She'll be remembered as a fighter, and that was both her greatest strength and her greatest weakness. It was her greatest strength because how many people would have gone into that previous election uh, with a 20-point disadvantage and said, I like my odds, and win? I think Christy Clark will be remembered as an extraordinary performer who stumbled uh, on her way off the stage. Among questions about the future of the B.C. Liberals, there is plenty of speculation about where Clark, who was first elected to the legislature in 96 and has bounced back many times, will land next. Jill Bennett, Global News. Well, let's see if we can get more insight from our Keith Baldry in Victoria. Christy Clark not commenting publicly, Keith, but you did have a chance to speak with her today. Yeah, I spoke to her over the phone just a short time ago, uh, Sophie. Uh, she says she's, she feels she's in a good spot. She basically says that she now thinks the NDP-Green uh, alliance is going to have more stability than she originally thought. So it could last uh, more than a year, uh, two years, maybe even three years. And she thinks over that time frame, it would be inevitable that the proverbial knives would come out for her leadership, that she would have be facing off against critics. And she thinks she would have won ultimately, but she thinks the danger of sticking around would have meant the coalition that is the BC Liberal Party would have fallen apart. So she told me she'd rather set her departure on her own timetable, not someone else's. And that's why she pulled the surprise resignation today. All right. So Rich Coleman, the interim Liberal leader now, Keith, mm-hmm. whose names are being kicked around for the leader long term? Oh, this is where the fun begins. Let the speculation begin. It's all over social media. A lot of the common names, are there's a commonality, I think, on most of the speculations. Let's start with Diane Watts, uh, the former mayor of Surrey, very popular there, now a conservative MP at the federal level. She seems to be heading the list of, uh, of top speculation. Also, Todd Stone, the former transportation minister, uh, very popular among the youth wing of the B.C. Liberal Party, known for his organizational skills, so I expect him to enter the race. Andrew Wilkinson seems to have entered it even before... Uh, Christy Clark announced her resignation. He's been all over the media as a self-appointed spokesperson for the B.C. Liberal Party. Uh, he's a former cabinet minister as well, but he's from the west side of Vancouver, not uh, necessarily appealing to the suburban voters. Uh, and uh, Mike Bernier, keep an eye on this guy. He hasn't got a big profile. He was education minister. Uh, he's uh, fairly centrist and modernist, but uh, he's, a, I think, a dark horse a potential winner here. There's other names, of course, uh, being kicked around out there. Kevin Falcon, former candidate and finance minister, has been uh, one name that surfaced as well, but he's making a lot of money in the private sector. I'll be surprised if he comes in, but those are just four names I picked, bound to bruise some egos, Sophie, every time we don't mention someone in the weeks and months ahead of potentially running to uh, succeed Christy Clark as the next leader of the B.C. Liberal Party. I'm sure you'll hear from them, Keith. Thank you. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Always does. And Christy Clark will have a relatively comfortable retirement should she choose to go that route. She won't be able to collect her government pension for another nine years. But the Canadian Taxpayers Federation points out it'll start at about $100,000 a year. And the fully indexed pension will total $1.7 million by the age of 80 for Christy Clark. Now, another new development tonight in the story of a Vancouver woman who's been missing since early this month. A large reward has been offered as the RCMP asks for your help. 34-year-old Sophie Dowsley was last seen with her partner, Greg Tiffin, at a business in Harrison Hot Springs July 8th. 
Tiffin's body was found 10 days later near a waterfall. RCMP divers failed to find Dowsley, though, and the search was suspended last Sunday. Both Dowsley and Tiffin were BC Hydro employees, and former Hydro CEO Jessica McDonald is offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to Dowsley's safe return. Police are asking the public for any information. Well, with nearly 150 fires still burning in B.C. and another hot, dry weekend ahead, the cost of fighting wildfires is mounting. The government now says it's spending more than $7 million every day to fight the fires across the province. The total so far is more than $140 million. Now, among the people who've lost almost everything, a family in Monty Lake who returned to smoking rubble where their home once stood, the fire very likely human-caused. Nadia Stewart is live near Monty Lake for us today. And Nadia, you found some shocking evidence that people still aren't taking the fire danger seriously. That's right, Chris. There is the evidence here of the careless disposal of cigarettes. Even the incident commander that I spoke with earlier today said his crews have witnessed it happen. Now, we still do not know what caused the Martin Mountain fire, but we do know that one family has suffered a devastating loss because of it. Oh, it's hot. For one Monty Lake family, this is all that's left of their dream home. The homeowner's still too much in shock to speak on camera. His brother can hardly believe what they're seeing. It was very surreal because, and of course, emotional. Um, Bizarre in that the house was completely raised. There's nothing left of the house, just a, a smoking foundation. But there are little pockets of things that are untouched. On Christian Road, where this home once stood, a similar story. Theirs was the only home that burned. When something happens like this, you're just absolutely in shock. Many are now asking questions. Chief among them, how did this fire start? One area resident believes she might know. I would assume a cigarette butt. With how quickly it was moving, I would have said it was a few vehicles ahead of us if it was. Um, And it was only, like I said, two feet off the side of the road. The exact cause is still under investigation. Regardless, there are concerns and evidence the fire risk is not being taken seriously enough. Even here in Monty Lake, drivers along Highway 97 have been seen throwing cigarette butts out their windows by the side of the highway. People waiting to cross through the fire, discarding cigarettes down at the, uh, at the, um, where they're waiting for the pilot car. So um, that's concerning. A concern shared by many as the wildfire threat persists here and across the province. Now, there are two fires of note uh, that we know have been human-caused. That is uh, the fire near Princeton and the Harrison Lake East Fire. Of course, though, as we head into the next couple of days, when we know that it is going to be hot and dry, officials are reiterating this warning that people need to take the fire risk in B.C. right now very seriously. Back to you, Chris. Nadia Stewart in Monty Lake. Thanks, Nadia. Now, thousands of Williams Lake residents have begun the slow process of repopulating their city after getting the all clear to return yesterday. Nitu Garcha joins us live in the interior tonight. Nitu, they may be going home, but their community and many others that were evacuated have a long recovery ahead of them. Absolutely, Sophie. Now, it's definitely not the same Williams Lake that people are used to. Things are a lot different for those coming home. Many of the services and resources that people are used to relying on still quite limited. And because of that, officials are urging those coming back to bring with them enough resor- enough basic necessities, I should say, like food and prescriptions to last them at least seven days.
For Les and Sharon, returning home is a huge relief. I've been phoning the city and phoning the hotlines and everything else for three days because I, I, I needed to come home. Unpacking belongings into a home they didn't know would still be standing. One of the first sites entering Williams Lake, a warm welcome surrounded by charred reminders of why they left. Concerned and you're scared for your friends and your family, um, it's an eerie feeling uh, when you, it, it was a ghost town and, and there's nothing there. Closed signs and empty businesses still a common sight even a day after the evacuation order was downgraded to an alert for the Williams Lake area. Where operations have restarted, it's far from being business as usual. There's lots of work, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we have to turn the gas off and things like that. And now it's just, you know, we're going to slowly start things up. We're not in any big rush to, to get production out the door. We're just, we want to make sure everybody's going to work safe and, and we don't want any injuries. So We're seeing people coming in stages right now. Uh, it's so close to the weekend that some people didn't want to get in the big rush to get home. So they're staying the extra day. And then some people are taking an extra day after that as well. So it's not a really... A mad rush coming home. The fire risk here still high. The chances of residents having to do it all over again, very real. If the fire is that close, it doesn't make any sense to me to stay. You know what? If it happens again, I'm not leaving. Now, no homes were lost in the city of Williams Lake, but certainly not the case for other nearby communities like here in the 108 Mile Ranch area. You can see some burnt out vehicles behind me, but I also want to show you some videos, some footage of some of the scorched homes on this street. There are four homes on this street, all side by side and all scorched. Flames taking out almost everything in its path here. We're told within the 108 Mile Ranch boundary, a total of 12 homes were destroyed. And throughout the Caribou Regional District, wildfires have taken out 67 properties, including 41 homes plus 108 outbuildings. That includes barns and sheds. And of course, as Nadia alluded to before me here, Williams Lake and other communities that are on evacuation alert, not out of the woods yet. The forecast is calling for conditions that are ideal for wildfires. So a lot of people, almost 20,000 of them in the Caribou Regional District, are being reminded to stay packed up and ready to leave within a moment's notice. Back to you. Nitu Garcia on your 108 mile tonight. Nitu, thank you. Well, Mother Nature has certainly not exactly cooperated with the firefighting effort. Not a lot of reason in the forecast to be optimistic it will start. Here's Christy Gordon now with the latest on what looks like an upcoming heat wave, Christy. Yeah, Chris, you know, in a typical summer, I'd love to be advertising sun and heat, but the heat wave is the last thing these residents in the interior need. Now, starting tomorrow, conditions are really going to heat up. Using Kelowna as an example, you can see the kinds of conditions that we are going to be contending with in the coming days. Uh, a good 10 degrees above average, potentially record-breaking, and it's this kind of heat that causes problems. Not only is it extremely hot and dry, but the afternoon daytime heating crea- uh, winds created by this become very tricky for the firefighters. And I know you'll be monitoring that very closely over mm-hmm. the next few days. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, rack up another cost of these wildfires. As Ted Chernecki reports, they're expected to boost the cost of new construction right across the province. Nailing the cost of rebuilding in today's post-wildfire world. It isn't easy because prices for lumber are changing as fast as the winds that fan the flames. Plywood prices have actually doubled in the last six weeks, and it's for a couple of reasons. There's a large mill in Oregon that burnt down completely, and then there's 10 other mills in the northwest, mostly in B.C., 
that have been offline because of lack of supply and because the, the workers who work in them are, are, have been uh, evacuated. So not only do the victims of this year's fire season face rebuilding, but suddenly the replacement cost, on average, is up by about $5,000 per home just because of the cost of plywood. It's hit at the highest demand time of the year, so the, the hit on prices has been extreme. The recovery from Fort McMurray is actually also impacting this because that has a big draw, a big demand for product, plywood in particular. There's also a ripple effect on other wood products. A shortage of plywood puts demand pressures on alternatives, and they too have increased. Engineered paneling is up 20%, and dimensional lumber has also doubled. Just getting supply is a problem because of so many evacuation zones that have closed highways and logging roads. Even helicopters that might otherwise be used in logging operations are assigned to the firefight. Ted Chernecki, Global News. It's the North Shore's popular playground, but Grouse Mountain now offers a lot more than the grind. The area is home to our newest regional park. Nature's beauty is nearly perfect, but how park planners hope you can help make it even better in just over a minute. Another key advisor to President Trump fired. Why Chief of Staff Reince Priebus is out and who's replacing him coming up. And a very close call for a pilot heading to Chilliwack. Why he ended up crash landing in a field later on the news hour. All right, the beast is back at Playland after additional safety inspections. PE officials shut it down yesterday as a precaution following a fatal accident on a similar ride at the State Fair in Ohio. Both rides were made by the same manufacturer, however, the beast is a permanent ride at Playland, unlike the ride in Ohio which is taken down in travels from fair to fair. A popular hiking trail on the North Shore is now part of a much bigger park. The Grouse Grind is now in the Grouse Mountain Regional Park. Catherine Urquhart explains. The other option is to go up the BCMC route. Every year, more than 150,000 people hike the Grouse Grind. Now the hugely popular trail is part of Grouse Mountain Regional Park. Well, it's going to look the same tomorrow as it did yesterday, but it's going to allow us to bring in some of our great regional park programming. The 75-hectare piece of land is adjacent to the ski resort and was previously managed by the Water District. Now that lush piece of backcountry falls under Metro Vancouver's Regional Parks Committee. In the coming months, improved signage and maintenance are planned. The grind is what most people experience when they're going to the top of the mountain. And it's very well marked. There's been a huge amount of work that's, that's happened on the trail to make it safer, um, more accessible, more defined over the years. But the whole flank of Grouse has a network of other trails as well that have nobody looking after them, put it bluntly. The ones who get into trouble aren't aware of the sort of the footwear they should be using. They're not aware they should be carrying water. Uh, and if they're not used to this sort of physical exercise, it does take a long time. Like an hour and a half to two hours is sort of a normal time. Uh, and you're really working hard going up uh, 800 meters. So, uh, yeah, if you had more signage at the bottom to really emphasize that, then it would really get the message across, I think. North Shore Rescue is constantly called to the area to pull people out. They're welcoming better signage and improved trails. Well, we have staff here all of the time trying to make sure that when people do the grind that they are prepared for it. Um, so we're going to continue that because, you know, safety is a big issue. We all hear stories weekly of uh, North Shore Rescue, North Shore or North Van Fire Department having to go up there and rescue people that weren't prepared. So that's a huge piece for us. 
The grouse grind will still be free, except for the gondola ride down. Good news for the thousands who hike it daily. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, North Vancouver. Safety concerns on the eve of Vancouver's biggest public event. What to bring and what you must leave behind if you want to enjoy the celebration of light. And a record-breaking fentanyl bust. Millions of dollars in pills pulled off the street. At English Bay tonight, Team Japan is preparing its fireworks for their celebration of light performance tomorrow. Jennifer Palma joins us live at English Bay with more on how the city is preparing for the hundreds of thousands of people who are expected to be in the downtown area. And they'll all be crowded right behind you there, Jen. You know it, Sophie. It's going to be jam-packed. You won't be able to get in here unless you come early tomorrow to check out Team Japan, as Sophie had mentioned. Yeah, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people here, but the city is ready to welcome them. It's a little case that packs a lot of power. If I pressed fire, the show would start to shoot. Right now, it's just waiting for time code. And as soon as I hear it, as soon as it hears it, it starts to go. The 2017 Honda Celebration of Light is undergoing final preparations. To light up the skies over English Bay with Japan up first tomorrow night. They would like to, to bring out the emotion and uh, the feeling to the crowd. It's an annual undertaking welcoming anywhere from 300 up to 500,000 people to Vancouver. The show runs over three days, with Japan, the United Kingdom and Canada presenting their interpretations of music from the Tragically Hip, Leonard Cohen and Brian Adams. Each of our pyrotechnic teams have been challenged to interpret a classic Canadian hit. And while the crowds will be taking it all in, first responders will be watching. Safety is top of mind, with extra personnel on hand to keep the event family-friendly. It looks like they're putting a lot of effort into everything. Ten years ago when I used to come down here as a kid, it was a lot more reckless almost. Like It was more of like a big party scene, but now it seems to be more of a family, and it's like a Vancouver tradition. Fencing and cut-out garbage cans with clear bags have been positioned to keep trouble at bay. Officials asking people to not smoke in parks or on beaches. Discarded smoking materials are the leading cause of the outdoor fires we have in our province today. They can lead up to a $500 fine, and we will be on the lookout for that. Officials also asking the public to keep the drones at home. Do not bring a drone to the Celebration of Light. Uh, it will be uh, seized from you if we do see you with it, and if we do see them flying, we will make every effort to identify who the operator is and uh, take appropriate measures in that case. And just a few housekeeping suggestions here. If you want to come down, maybe take transit or walk or, uh, you know, cycle down. It's going to be really crazy and very busy down here. They're also asking if you are coming down to check out the fireworks. Maybe you'd like to consider giving a donation to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. Either bring uh, something that's non-perishable or donate online. Uh, they are also... Um, asking people to whatever you pack in to pack out lots of garbage gets left out behind uh, here on this beach and they're trying to get it cleaned up by 6 a.m for the next day now the shows will start as soon as the sun goes down tomorrow again it's japan wednesday it's the united kingdom and next saturday it's canada back to you looking forward to the show jen thank you a very close call for a lucky pilot in the Fraser Valley earlier today. He left Abbotsford for what was supposed to be a short flight to Chilliwack. While en route, the pilot says he started to experience problems with the engine, so he turned back to Abbotsford. 
That's when the engine died, forcing him to attempt an emergency landing on a rural road. He clipped a road sign and ended up in a field just east of Sumas Way. Nobody, thankfully, was injured. What could be the start of the electric car revolution? Tesla finally builds the Model 3, a car for the mass market. And the first few customers get the keys tonight. And you're fired. Donald Trump makes a major change in his administration with, of course, an announcement on Twitter. Is this the car that will drive us into the future? Tesla sure thinks so, delivering the first all-electric Model 3s to the first 30 customers who put deposits down over a year ago. Company President Elon Musk will hand the keys over at a special ceremony in California tonight. Tesla promises the car will travel nearly 350 kilometers on a single charge. And at about $43,000 Canadian, it's considered an affordable car for the masses. Police in Edmonton say they have made the largest fentanyl bust in Canadian history. Officers conducted search warrants on a number of homes and seized 130,000 fentanyl pills, worth an estimated $3.9 million. Police also found cocaine worth an estimated street value of 129000 Car fentanyl and fentanyl lace powders were discovered as well. Edmonton police say charges are pending. The power struggle reached a new peak at the White House today, and Reince Priebus came out the loser, the president announcing on Twitter that he'd hired a new chief of staff, replacing Priebus after just six months on the job. Kristen Welker reports. Tonight, a major staff shakeup in the embattled West Wing. Chief of Staff Reince Priebus is out. President Trump announcing his new pick in a tweet. I am pleased to inform you that I have just named General Secretary John F. Kelly as White House Chief of Staff. Kelly had served as Mr. Trump's Secretary of Homeland Security. The president spoke about the big changes moments after returning to Washington after a trip to New York. Reince is a good man. John Kelly will do a fantastic job. General Kelly has been a star, done an incredible job thus far, respected by everybody, a great, great American. A source close to Priebus says he privately offered his resignation yesterday after the new communications director, Anthony Scaramucci, launched a profanity-laced tirade against him in The New Yorker. What led to the ouster? Sources inside the White House say the president has been frustrated with Priebus's perceived lack of leadership for months and having put him in charge of health care Last night's defeat was the final straw. The motion to commit is not agreed to. Secretary Kelly is widely seen as a stabilizing force, a 45-year Marine veteran who has carried out Mr. Trump's tough-on-crime and immigration policies as the leader of Homeland Security, and like his boss, wants to crack down on leaks. I think it, it, it's darn close to uh, uh, treason. At his event in New York today, the focus was gang violence, but the president also sang Kelly's praises. Truly one of our stars. John Kelly is one of our great stars. Police in the United Kingdom tweeting out video of a very close call between a train and a tractor. The video posted yesterday to the British Transport Police Leicestershire Twitter page. It shows the train coming down the tracks. You'll see a tractor trailer also crossing the tracks, both nearly missing each other. Police tweeted the video as a reminder to cross safely at the train tracks. Charlie Gard, the critically ill British baby at the center of a legal battle, has died. 
The 11-month-old died just days before his first birthday. Charlie suffered from an extremely rare genetic condition which caused progressive brain damage and left him unable to breathe on his own. His parents fought for the right to take him to the U.S. for an experimental therapy they believed would prolong his life. But Charlie's doctors objected, saying the treatment would not help and might even cause him to suffer. The dispute ended up in court. A judge ruled yesterday that Charlie should be transferred to a hospice and taken off life support after his parents and the hospital failed to agree on an end-of-life plan. An act of kindness repaid many times over. He helped me at a time in my life where I was very down. Stopping to help a stranger leads to a coincidence that brought two families together. And the bizarre 911 call from a woman in a battle with a boa constrictor. Coming up. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. I had a boa constrictor stuck to my, my face. And you have a what? You heard that right. A boa constrictor stuck to her face. A 911 call even the operator couldn't believe. Coming up right after the forecast with Christy. Oh my gosh. Where yeah. do we find these stories? <laughs> <laughs> They're happening all over the she's, world. Hopefully she's okay. Anyway, we'll yeah. find out uh, okay. right after Christy's forecast, as you said. Uh, and sort of like good news, bad news in your forecast, Christy. Yeah, it's nice to be talking about sunshine and heat as we head into a weekend. It is summer. Lots of people wanting to enjoy that. But uh, it is so dry out there. You know, I built this graphic five days ago, and it hasn't changed. So I can show you again. So this is the amount of rain that we've had so far this summer. So since June... June 20th. That's nearly five and a half weeks now. And all of these areas have had less than two millimeters of rain. To give you a perspective, these areas within the same time period on average would have maybe 30 to 40 millimeters of rain. It is so incredibly dry and the pattern is not changing. We talked about the heat wave, so let's have a look. I'm using Kelowna as an example just because it's sort of a center point. Uh, but there are many areas like Cash Creek, Clinton, Ashcroft that are, will be much hot, warmer. So by a good two to three degrees. But over the weekend, the temperatures will begin to soar into the mid-30s, just a little bit below that maybe. But the days we'll really be watching are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Those days we could see potentially record-breaking conditions, certainly well above average. And again, we talked about those afternoon daytime heating winds. Those are really tricky for the firefighters because they're locally gusty and they come in all different directions sometimes. So that's what we'll be tracking. It is not good news for the areas in the interior. Now, it looks like we have this massive, beautiful uh, low-pressure center that could bring rain. But unfortunately, it's only going to affect the north coast. And the rest of us will see that ridge of high pressure build. And it will be hot and dry. So, north coast, unfortunately, as you head into your weekend, you're going to be contending with rain. But that uh, means that you're not dealing with the fires that they are in the interior. Prince George, I have put in a chance of showers. But it's only an isolated chance. And anywhere south south of there, hot and dry. So 35 in Kalmyk, 34 in Asoyos, and for the south coast, similar conditions with hot, dry conditions. Uh, 27 degrees inland, but that's just the start of the heat. The peak of the heat will happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where areas away from the water could reach 30, 32 degrees. And uh, before I move on, I wanted to say participation is, of course, helping Canada celebrate 150 years by presenting 150 ways to stay fit. And as we head into a weekend like this, 
the suggestion for you is to play tag with your kids. Great idea. Happy birthday to Stanley Walpole. He's turned 100 today in Nanaimo. I hope you're able to get out and enjoy that sunshine. And this is a spectacular weather window, you guys. It's from Clinton. Cowboy Up Ranch. Monica sent us this. This is her husband, Curtis. They haven't had a lot of business lately, so they decided to train their horse. This is the first time that he was saddled up, and it happened just last night. He said They said they didn't buck for too long, but that is the Elephant Hill fire in the background. That's the kind of scenario they're contending with in the interior. Uh, just quickly, it's a Friday. Sorry, I forgot about this. Part it is Friday, so here's a look at the weather uh, photos. But I did pick tonight's photo because it is so spectacular. So thank you, Monica, and congratulations, and great job on uh, trying to train that horse, Curtis. <laughs> great photo. Good looking okay. horse. All right. Thanks, Christy. All right. If you are not a fan of snakes, this story is not for you. I think Christy is clearing the studio right now. <laughs> 911 dispatchers in Sheffield Lake, Ohio, have released a call from a woman yesterday who was having a hard time with one of her 11 snakes. Have a listen. 
Only two will be playing the weekend. Graham Dillette and Mackenzie Hughes. Nick Taylor and Adam Hadwin, both of Abbotsford, and playing in the same group. Along with North Van's Bryn Perry just missed out on what was a very low cut line, four under par, the second lowest on the PGA Tour this season. In Canada, this is what you see. The caddies are wearing uh, goalie masks, of course, just uh, extra protection. Why not? Uh, and as mentioned, Hadwin and Taylor paired in the same group. Hadwin had to go low, had to shoot somewhere around seven under just to make the cut, but didn't do it. Missed that par attempt there just did not have it this week for Adam finished at even for the tournament Nick Taylor needing to just shoot anything under par today to play the weekend nice approach there led to a birdie but by his finishing hole he had to chip in to make the cut that close so he will not play the weekend Dustin Johnson is going to be around contended last year and he's right up there again this year with that length, of course, and all those par fives, Johnson certainly a good choice. Four off the lead at eight under. How about 54-year-old Vijay Singh won this tournament in 2004 over Mike Weir in a playoff, and Vijay is right up there. Shot a 68 today, tied for fourth, 10 under, just two back. The big mover of the day, though, American Gary Woodland, a tee shot on the par three, little seven iron from 202. What's that, a three-wood for most of us? Almost holds it for the ace. Woodland taking a run at the course record of 62. This gets him a little closer. Got to nine under for the day. Came up one short. Nine under 63, minus 11. He is one off the lead. Ontario boy Mackenzie Hughes chips in for birdie. He had a wild round. Had a lot of birdies, but a few bogeys as well. Here at the 11th. Great approach, led to another one of his seven birdies, but he did have four bogeys. Shot a 69, but he's right there, eight under, four shots off the lead as we head to the weekend at Glen Abbey. So here's a look at the leaderboard. American Martin Flores, who went out very early this morning, has the one-shot lead, and you see those are the two Canadians making the cut. A big group of Canadians just missed. Nick Taylor, North Van's Bryn Perry among them. Kimberly's Jared Dutois, who had that amazing run at the tournament last year. As we take a look at the second leaderboard, finished at plus six. We will have third round pregame coverage tomorrow at 11 on Global with our own Jay Jainar anchoring the show at Glen Abbey. Third round action starts at noon. Sport Mooney's Ryan Johansson. Has hit the jackpot with a new contract. It's an eight-year, $64 million deal, the longest and richest contract ever handed out by the Predators. Johansson's just 24. He had 14 goals, 61 points last season. Helped the Preds get to the Stanley Cup Finals, despite being forced out with a Charlie horse that required emergency surgery in the third round against Anaheim. Johansson says, though, he's healthy and ready to go for next season. And... He's a rich young man. The Whitecaps will try to do something they've never done this weekend, and that's get a result in Dallas. In eight all-time matchups in the heart of Texas, the Whitecaps are 0-8, and they've been outscored 16-3 to in those eight matches. Two big reasons for those lopsided numbers. Dallas has been a very strong franchise over that period. And it's dang hot in Texas, and that has played a factor. But after going 0-8, you have to figure the Whitecaps are due to win one sooner or later. Have a little bit of luck. I generally believe that. I don't think we've had any luck whatsoever. Uh, play better than we did last weekend um, and take our chances because last week was a perfect example of, of not taking our chances. We'll need a little bit of everything, I, I believe, to get a result, but I firmly believe we can.
it's a it's one that I would like to get off the checklist because we've done a few of them before um, but we know it's going to be hard Blue Jays and Angels, Toronto looking to extend its win streak 30s. to five. Toronto having more issues with umpires. Jay Happ thought he had Mike Trout on strike three. Umpire Angel Hernandez jawing with Happ. We know who always wins that argument. Jays fell behind 2-0 in this one. And then Trout in his next at-bat with a two-out RBI single in the fourth. That made it 3 to nothing for the Angels. And... Uh, this young kid, I think he's working on his uh, spitball right now. <laughs> Literally. Future pitcher. 4-1 in the ninth. Looks like the Jays' win streak is done. But that little guy's enjoying the uh, the rawhide there. <laughs> Not going to be tasty. <laughs> no. He's hungry. Right. Thanks very much, right. Barry. Two families who keep paying it forward and the coincidences that brought them together. Up next. Now, a story of an act of kindness that came back around years later. It started three years ago when a nursing assistant found herself out of gas and out of money. A stranger stopped to help her. Neither of them had any idea their paths would cross again. NBC's Katie Beck has more. Hundy Hector says no coincidence could explain her miraculous story. On July the 18th, my life changed forever, and I'm eternally grateful. When Tundi, a home hospice aide, was hired to care for Judy Wright in her final weeks with Parkinson's. She was my best friend. During dark days, Tundi brought peace. Gentle. Read the Bible to her. Uh, just talked to her. And, you know, she was our, our guardian angel. But Tundi was saved once, too, ironically, by Judy's son, Chris. When Tundi first arrived, they realized they'd met before. He helped me at a time in my life where I was very down. Out of gas roadside with only $5, Chris stopped for a stranger. So this was the spot where you found her? Yeah. Yep. Filled Tundy's gas, gave her the $40 he had on him. Three years later, Tundy would appear. Never, 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 never dreamed we'd see each other again. Judy passed away, and the family, grateful for the gift of Tundy, again gave her one. A lot of people we be- believe in you and want to see you become a nurse. Instead of flowers, they asked for donations toward the nursing degree Tundy struggles to afford as a single mom. A check for more than $8,000. No, you're so good to me. Okay. Oh, my God. Y'all Now she's part of the family, more sure than ever. Whether you believe in God or who you ever you believe in, somebody's out there on your side. That this beautiful chapter was indeed no coincidence. Katie Beck, NBC News, Bogart, Georgia. See, now we can feel better about mm-hmm. humanity. And That's right. You just, we start with all the bad news. First 55 <laughs> minutes was a little dicey. We'd <laughs> like Come to wrap on. it up nicely for you. Right. Absolutely. You just never know. You just never know exactly. how things are going to work out when you first extend a hand yeah exactly uh, a lot of people helping each other out in different parts of the province with mm-hmm. uh, the wildfires it didn't look like there was a lot of relief in the long-term forecast as we saw earlier no so th- this weekend will be just the start of the heat will be lower to mid 30s for the interior there these are your numbers for metro vancouver closer to the water cooler away from the water warmer uh, but it's really come wednesday and thursday that we're really going to see that heat for the interior and uh it doesn't really, uh, I guess I was going to say that's when we'll really see the heat, but it doesn't matter. It's still hot and dry right through yeah. the next seven days, mm-hmm. really. But when we-